as he was talking about having near the cross, uh, sang at his funeral whenever that time comes. And uh, as I was listening to it, and that song is in the, the time signature of 3-4, and it really gives it that funeral dirge feel to it. And uh, I thought, well, what an appropriate lyric and just the way that song feels, you can just see that being sang to honor a man of God's life on earth and to say, just keep nothing more than keep me near the cross and just that fire, fire. I love that. So good choice, sir. Good choice. Uh, it has been my privilege to spend the last couple of days here. Uh, my wife and I are honored to be uh, invited to come and preach this weekend and in view of a call at that and evidently I've angered the, the this side of the church this morning because they all left and maybe maybe I gave too much attention to them y'all in the crosshairs tonight but uh, uh, thank you for being here again this evening I truly appreciate that uh, not for me, but God's Word is important, and we ought to gather every opportunity we have, no matter who's preaching, if it's a, a good biblical discourse that we're having, we ought to be there and be involved in that. So uh, without taking any more time, I'm going to jump right in tonight. And like I said this morning, I typically like to teach through books, so just kind of pulling things out and, and trying to make sure I don't pull them away from their context uh, is, is difficult sometimes as I was rereading through my notes today for tonight, I kept wanting to think, okay, I need to go back and read this to them too, and I need to, and it's just not time to go through all of Romans chapter one, uh, and it really needs this whole setup. Because, uh, and you'll see why in a minute, and I'll tell you in a minute. Go read the rest of Romans chapter 1 tonight, and you'll see what we were talking about. But we're going to begin in verse 18, and here's my, my excuse is we're jumping from one type of teaching to the other. And so I'm going to give you a quick summary of what the first 17 verses were the best doctrinal breakdown of the gospel in Scripture. Paul is saying, I got good news and I got bad news. The bad news is going to take me the next three chapters. But uh, the good news, he said, let me tell you the good news first. And so he offers hope before he tells us why we need it. And that's what we're going to hit at verse, 17, or verse 18 tonight is far be it for me to jump into the bad news. I guess I should have brought the, the gospel, but I'm thinking, well, we've got probably most likely a church full of believers. So let's start with, with the importance of the gospel. That's what Paul said. We've got to have the gospel, and here's why. Uh, because we are dead men walking, and uh, we could go to Ezekiel 37 and see just what that looks like for the dead to come to life. But what we're going to look at today is the wrath of God being poured out on those who will die without Christ uh, 
and what it would be like if we are walking today without a reverent, healthy fear of God. He doesn't pour his wrath out on us because that's a one-time deal that was poured out on Christ and will be poured out for eternity on the lost. So what does it look like to experience the wrath of God for all of eternity? And what does the judgments of God look like on lost men who just say, you know what, there is no God. We're not going, even though we've got the creation, we've got all these things to look at, to, without excuse, know that there is a God. We'll look a minute and look and see what God does with those people. So verse 18 uh, is really the only verse we're going to break down tonight because it is loaded. Uh, we will use some other verses tonight, but the one we're going to break down is verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth <clears throat> in unrighteousness. Pardon my throat, allergies are killing me. Please don't be offended, brother, if I'm ever not singing long. It's not because I don't want to. It's because I've got to save my throat sometimes to talk for 30 minutes. No, I'm good. Thank you. It's just, it's that time of year and I get kind of raspy. And I'm like, I don't want to complete. I haven't been here long enough for you to want me to lose my voice. But that time will come. It's like, is that guy ever going to shut up? He keeps saying he's going to start. Uh, the first 17 verses, the gospel, here we are at verse 18, in this huge shift from good news to oh no. And that's what we're reading here. The first thing you need to see is God's wrath, and what's the next word? Is. That's present tense. That's not will be, that's not has been. God's wrath is revealed. It is being poured out. Now, understand, uh, there's a dam, and that dam is called mercy. So right now, every sin ever committed, God's wrath is being heaped and poured out on humanity, except there's this dam of grace and mercy, and it's holding it back. And there is a day when Christ is going to return the church is going to leave the earth and that dam is going to break loose and every person who has rejected Christ will for all of eternity feel the wrath of God pouring over them. And so here we are on earth. God's wrath is revealed. Where does it come from? From heaven. It comes from God himself. And it's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So Paul is, is telling us here, I just gave you all this good news. Church, you don't need good news to help make your marriage better. You don't need the good news. You don't need the gospel to overcome your insecurities. You don't need the gospel to make you a better parent or to, to have a class for single parenting. You don't need the good news to live healthy, wealthy, and have a prosperous life on earth. You don't need the gospel for earthly gain. Yet that's what so many churches are doing today. They've taken the gospel and said, our church is going to be about 
having a class for uh, single moms, having a class for this, having a class. Those things are great, and there's biblical teaching in those things. The gospel is because man is headed for hell, and man needs salvation. He needs saving, not from his sins, from the wrath of God. Our sins put us in the place to be deserving and only deserving of the wrath of God. And we need salvation in the gospel for one thing only, to protect us from God because he is angry at our sin. And so understanding that, that God's wrath is being poured out and his mercy and grace is holding it back saying, wait, there's another one I'm going to save. There's another one I'm going to save. But when I am done saving, the grace and the mercy will leave this earth with the church and it will pour out and rain upon those who have rejected Christ for all eternity. We need the good news because the bad news is awful for those who won't receive it. Now, the wrath of God being revealed from heaven and understand this, because it uses the present tense, what does that tell us about this world? God is not passively involved in this world. He is sovereign over it. He does not look at things and go, well, uh, I didn't see that coming. He doesn't look at your situation and go, oh, I bet that hurt. He knows it before it ever comes, and he is there involved in it. And that very same thing is, as man lives like there is no God, he is involved in that. I'll show you in a minute what that looks like. But he is involved, especially in the lives of his children. You know how I know he's involved? Because he loves me. You know how I know that? Because he chastises me. Because he disciplines me. Because he directs me. A lost world would look and say, what kind of God would do that to a Christian? Do what? Correct him? What kind of father doesn't correct his child? And sometimes that correction is painful for the child. But I'll tell you what kind of father doesn't correct his child. A bad one. A father who's more worried about being a friend than a father. God said, yes, I'll be your friend, but I'm also the Father. So there is correction and direction coming for his children. Count yourself blessed that he corrects you because if he doesn't, you don't belong to him. So here we go. God is his wrath being revealed, being poured out. And look here at John 3.18. If you want to turn to your can, you don't have to. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Man, our real life needs are not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on our emotions. Our only Real need is to escape the wrath of God. 
and that is not something I can do on my own. It means the Holy Spirit has to draw me, like we said this morning. We have to hear and apply and surrender to the good news. Aren't you glad Paul gave us that before he got here? Or man, if we really understand, and we're about to understand a little bit about what the wrath of God means. The word wrath comes from the Greek word orge, O-R-G-E. And we, yes, get our word orgy from that. But it does, it's not talking about a sexual immoral act here. That word orge means heated passion. Think of all the heated passion when you think of God's anger towards sin. The orge is God's heated passion toward unrepentant sinners, and it will never, ever stop. So we use that word to describe the heated passion in a, used to be in our culture, negative way and should still be. But God uses it to describe his wrath on unsaved men. And so when you start thinking about the heated passion of God in a way that exposes judgment and anger from him, whenever it revolves around, you've rejected my son. And I put all of this, what, heated, passionate hatred and anger onto my son for you because of your sin I put all of that on my son. I sent my son for that purpose and that purpose alone to honor me by doing what? Absorbing all of my rights so that man could be saved. And yet we make light of God. We, we, we call him the man upstairs. We, we call him, you know, daddy God and, He is omniscient, omnipresent. He is awesome. He is all-powerful. He is all everything, and he is to be revered and honored among men, not laughed at, not scoffed at, not taken light of. And what we're going to get to is a word in just a moment called ungodliness. So first of all, what we want to recap and see is Paul tells us the good news, but he does not soft-sell the bad news. He uses this word, orge, that describes the, the emotional path or the emotional heated passion of God towards sin. Paul is saying, this is bad. Nothing man can do to you will last eternally. Nothing man will do for you is going to be good enough to make heaven stand away from it. It it takes God to take away sin, and he sent his son to do that for us, to absorb when that dam breaks. See, every single sin will be paid for. It's a debt. Every sin will be paid for. Every sin for the believers has been paid for. 
Every sin for those who will believe went to the cross with Christ. And God now sees us with the righteousness of his son. But see, the lost man hasn't paid his debt yet. It is not finished. He still owes it. And he will never, ever repay it. He will spend eternity paying for it. But it will never, ever be paid in full. My debt is paid in full. I'm awaiting the return of my Redeemer to take home his redeemed, purchased product, me. I'm going to be a joint heir with Jesus. I'm going to have access to everything Christ does because God has adopted me into his family. So let's jump out here a minute. Man needs to stop soft-selling the penalty for unregenerate, unrepentant sinners. Sin is no mistake, and it is sin, and God hates it. We, we know that. We agree with that. That's what we've got to focus on. But then what about those who, have, if we had read all of this text, you'd see there is a large group that rejects not just Christ, but they reject God. They reject the idea that there is a God, even though God says in this first chapter of Romans that there are those who will reject me and I am clearly made known in the creation. Those people who miss in the beginning God, God said let there be and there was. People who reject the, the idea that there's a God, you know, this, hey, let's go with the Big Bang and all the dirt in the universe got together and rolled up into a ball the size of a pencil lid and all the friction there grabbed it and it exploded and, you know, two million years later, here we are. No. God said in the many beginning, let there be and there was. And folks, it did not take 10 million years. There is no gap between day one and day two. God spent six, you think God went six million years before he rested? He was showing us, hey, set aside a day of rest. Work six days and then rest. He was demonstrating all of this. So what happens when we look around and we look at the, the stars that are held in the sky by the power of God? We look at where the lightning strikes and God's the one that put it there. We look at the winds that blow across the storms and Christ says, be still and it stands still. That, that God is in control. He is not passively involved in this world. He is active in every bit of it. But there are those who will suppress the truth. I think it was Stephen Lawson that said, it's not taking a beach ball to the lake and trying to Hold it under the water. You're trying to suppress the truth, and yet truth does what? It, it pops right back up to the top. The truth always comes up, and what did God say in that text? You are without excuse for not recognizing the divine attributes of God. You have no reason not to recognize me. So he's talking here not just to those who would go and deny Christ, but those who would deny him and his deity and his power, 
all together and look at verse 24. There's four terrifying words used twice in two verses. It's called a pattern. When we see patterns in Scripture, it means pay attention. Those terrifying words come right up in verse 24. Therefore, because God will not have, or man will not have me as a God, therefore God also gave them up. I don't want to hear that in regard to me, that God gave me up to my own depravity. He gave me up to my own wisdom. He gave me up, if you're reading that whole text, all these things that God gives man over, what does he give, give us over to? Uncleanliness. He said, you want life without me? Okay, I'm going to give you over to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who's the creature? Me. Now, what have I just done according to God? I've made myself my own idol. I have done as Satan said. I will be like the Most High. I will know what's right and wrong. I will decide what's right and wrong. I will be my own God. I will be God. That's what Satan said. That's what he convinced Adam and Eve to take that first bite of the tree. This is what brings us down to being ungodly and unrighteous is the fact that we don't even start with a reverent view of God. For this reason, in verse 26, there's those words again. God gave them up to vile passions. Have you looked at our world lately? A world that has said we don't need God anymore. Forget Christ. We don't even want God. What has he given us over to? I don't know, maybe uncleanness, lust, lust of their hearts, dishonoring our bodies among themselves, those who exchange the truth of God for a lie, that we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Does that look like our culture today? This is what happens when a culture and a people group says, we don't need God. We'll do this ourselves. We can do this in our own wisdom. Folks, God's judgment will come to people here on earth who live without him, but his wrath. Not just judgment. His wrath will pour out eternally on those who reject his son. So these next couple of words in the, the verse we're talking about tonight is that his sin, the hatred of sin is turned against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Paul puts these words in order. We tend to kind of lump ungodliness and unrighteousness together. They are not the same word, not at all. One leads to the other. Ungodliness is our view of God. It is vertical. It goes straight from what is my relationship with God like? 
do I have a reverent, holy fear of Almighty God? Do I think of God as hallowed be thy name? Do I think of the holiness of God when I address him? Because the, the less my view of God, the less my relationship stands on being in awe of God, then my unrighteousness, which is horizontal, it's how I live among men. So I have godliness talks about my relationship with God. Unrighteousness talks about how I will live among men. So if I don't have the right view of God and being in awe, and literally just the thought of God driving me to my, my metaphorical needs day in and day out in reverence and in awe of him, if that's not my perspective of God, then what's my righteousness going to look like? What is my life choices? What does my world look like if I don't view God as the holy creator of all things? Then I won't live like that. That is the domino that once it topples, my righteousness dominoes fall all down. And so... In order to live unrighteous, I have an ungodly view of, of God himself. Most people today and many in our churches do not have a godlike view of God. We look at God through man's lens of just entertaining ourselves and su Sunday is a day to get up and go to church and then the rest of the week I do me. Sunday, we take the family and we go to church. God is our every thought, or he is only just a second thought. And that determines the righteousness in which we will live by. A.W. Tozer says this, and man, I love Tozer. And this was one of those, such a simple statement. And my, I, I read it, my head went, just like that. That's what it sounded like. The most important thing that will ever enter your mind is what comes to mind when you think of God. Okay, let me read it again because some of you right now, your head's going, that was crazy. The most important thing that will ever enter your mind is what comes to mind when you think of God. And I'll never forget the first time I went to a centrifuge youth camp when I was in Georgia obviously we didn't go to Falls Creek there wasn't a Falls Creek I'd grown up in youth ministry I knew Falls Creek was going to go in and be a lot of entertainment based uh, get everybody excited and jumping and woke up and stirred up and uh, I, I knew that we walk into centrifuge service that night and the centrifuge leaders which are all college kids are standing at the doors of the sanctuary every evening, and there are signs up on the doors that say, please enter quietly and reverently. Words like reverent kids don't know what that means. They learned real quick. It didn't say go in and kick the beach ball around and dance and jump and get all emotional. It said go in and prepare your heart for worship. Go in and spend some time in prayer. Go in quietly and sit and 
think about the things of God. And I was like, wow, that's a new approach to youth ministry. And I look around, and in that auditorium full of several thousand kids, it's quiet. I don't know how you get five kids to be quiet. But whenever they were asked, go in and sit reverently before God and prepare your heart for worship. That got my attention. And as I read through this text today, I thought, the godly view of God is to be afraid of God. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. Because I don't want him to give me up to my own unrighteous way of thinking. Not here, and I certainly don't want the dam to break and me be one of the part of that lost culture. So as we begin to understand the, the difference in ungodliness and in irreverence, let's read Romans 1, 28. Because this is going to, uh, again, I hate picking this apart in the little segments, but in one, one service we're not meeting week after week to go through it. We kind of get to get the meat off the bone here. Those that live with no fear of God in them, no understanding of wanting holy God in their life, and even as they did not what? Like to retain God in their knowledge. That is the world we live in today. We do not want God even as a second thought. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, Look at verse 28 now. God gave them over to a debased mind to do what? To do those things which are not fitting, but being filled with what? Unrighteousness. Why? Because they don't have a bad view of God. They have no view of God. They don't want anything to do with God. Therefore, he gives them over. He says, you don't want me in your schools? Fine. Let's see how that works out for you. You don't want me in your halls of justice? Fine. Let's see how that works out for you. I can gladly give you up to your own depravity. I can give you over to your own wisdom, and we'll see how you do without God. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Think about our society today when we read these next words. The things that man without God will fill himself with. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, in other words, uh, the gossipers, backbiters, haters of God. There is not a society I can think of ever in the, in in the the West where we live that has hated God more than our society today. I can't begin to describe the hatred of God because he does not deal with, well, God, this is how we're going to live today. We're, we're going to do this, and the, this transgenderism is just what we're going to have today. Uh, and people are going to love it. It's going to be great. Trust me, God, you're going to love it when we get done with it. That's just, that is a view of God that says, 
You don't matter. Your word does not matter. And we don't care that it doesn't matter. We don't care what you said, God. God said, fine, take it and you go run it yourself. Look at verse 32. Who, talking about this group of people that, that won't subject themselves to God, knowing the righteous judgment of God, the wrath of God that will be poured out, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only they do the same. Now, they know. They know that what, what they're doing brings them, we're only deserving of death, but they do them anyway. And your Bible may use the word applaud here. Uh, mine uses approve. Same thing. Approve of those who practice them. Look at your kids or your grandkids' social media. And anything depraved they put online, somebody will tell them, wow, you're so brave for taking that stance. Yeah, they will be applauded for their own depravity. And they will look and go, hey, this is how I get the world to love me. And remember from this morning, if the world loves you, you've got a problem. That's all this young generation cares about is the applause of men. And that comes in ways of likes and hearts and smileys uh, from people they've never even met. That is the society we live in, folks. These are the people teaching in our colleges now. These are the young people that are running for office now. Those people who want no God are now running this country. I said 15 years ago, there was a statistic that came out, and I was still doing a lot of youth ministry, had just moved into to pastoring, and the, the percentage was then that 96% of that generation of youth from 11 to about 25 was lost, 96%, and unchurched. And I told our church then, these are the people that when you and I are 50 are going to be running this country. Surprise! Again, as I said this morning, now we don't even know where to go to the bathroom. I go to Walmart, and I'm like, which one do I use? I don't want to go in the wrong one. Are you sure it's safe to go in the men's room? Because I'm a man. We have let ungodliness turn to unrighteousness, and it has ruined a nation that used to be founded on, well, it was founded on on the principles of God. We used to be a nation under God. Now we're a nation trying to jump over God and suppress the truth. And God says, I'll just turn you over to your own depravity, your own wisdom, and let you see what that looks like. Friends, that's terrifying. But even more terrifying is not to only fail to recognize God, but fail to submit to his son. Because when we fail to submit to his son, that dam of mercy that's holding back 
the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven, it is going to break. Praise God. I won't be here. I don't know about kids, grandkids. I, I don't know about the hearts of so many of my family members that are lost. They're going to be the recipient of the wrath of God. And it's not because they haven't been told. It's because they have rejected what they have been told. Folks, there is, in my opinion, and that ain't worth nothing, I can't imagine a time like this ever in America. I know there are biblical times because there was this little bitty thing called the flood. Yeah, I mean, it's just a blip on the scope, right? It was God's wrath saying, I've got to put a stop to this, but I will do what? Because of my grace and mercy, save a remnant. Sodom and Gomorrah, one found righteous, one family, one out of that whole city. And the angels came and they told Lot, get your family and get out of Dodge, man. God is angry with the sins of his people. And he is fixing to come unglued. That's putting it in, old, in southern Oklahoma language. He's fixing to have a come apart right there amongst all those people. And he did. And what does Lot's wife do? I'm sorry, ladies. Just like Eve. The one thing that the angels told, told Lot, don't look back. What does his wife do? Eve, don't, Adam, don't eat of that tree. What does Eve do? Hey, that doesn't look that bad. The snake said we wouldn't die. You know, why not? And, and let's put some blame on Adam on this deal. Because God told him, of all the trees, eat of that one, don't eat. And if let's be honest. If you're the only man in the world, and you're standing beside the only woman in the world, and you think the penalty for eating that fruit is death to the one that eats it, and you watch your wife eat it, that's a problem. But then what does he do? She didn't die. He's like, he saw it was good for food, so he ate it too, and hence death entered the world. Folks, God's serious when he says don't do something. He is not kidding. And when he said, I created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and you'd be best to worship the creator rather than the created. Folks, today we have become a society, not a church, but a society that worships the created. What can I get out of this life? You got good old Joel Osteen up there telling everybody, have your best life now. Folks, I'm going to tell you straight up, if this is my best life, 85 years of this, I got gypped and I want to redo because my best life is still yet to come and I will lose my life for the gospel of Christ. I will go to prison for the gospel of Christ and hopefully no other reasons, but, you know, man's depravity can lead him anywhere. No, let's live righteous because we have a holy view of God and let that view of God 
guide our lifestyle. It's called Romans chapter 12, being having our mind transformed by the renewing. What is that talking about? Salvation. We are regenerated, our heart and our mind renewed, made a new creation. That is the reason we exist. That is the reason Southern Baptists do what we do through the cooperative program. We send missionaries across the world and we support them there. Now, there's some problems in the SBC right now. There sure are. But there has never been a better mission-sending organization. We have got unreached people groups still today that need the gospel. Why? Because if they don't hear it, they will perish. If you could, if God was going to make an exception to that man in dark Africa that's never heard the gospel, why in the world would we send him a missionary if God's going to make an exception for him? God didn't make any exceptions. The gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth, and that is our job until he returns. I don't care if you're pre- mid, post, all, none of it matters. Christ could return in the next five seconds. He, he can return whenever, he, whenever God has uh, Michael blow that trumpet. At that point, I'm done preaching because it's over. And that's when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, lost and saved, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, that your word has not gone out and would return void. And I know I can pray that because that is not just your will, it is your word that said it will not return void. So, God, I pray that as we have heard your word that has encouraged us to live godly with a godly perspective so that we will live righteous as much as that is possible among a fallen people. Lord, will we do your will tonight when you have your perfect sovereign will done in everything else left to do this evening. And Father, will we trust you with it, surrendering our lives before you. And it's in Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen. I'm going to turn this back to the men. And yeah, we'll turn it over to Pastor Serge to take our gifts. Before we call this uh, business meeting to order, we're going to take about a five, five, ten minute break. Let people go to the restroom, get a drink of water. Uh, so uh, let's say five after seven, we'll meet back in here and we will begin our business meeting. Thank you. <laughs>